Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me, as always, is Matt. We are recording on Monday, May 1st at night, so we've got a couple games going on, some that have been concluded. Today, we've had some trades in our Dynasty League that we're going to talk about initial reactions. We have some top prospect performers we want to highlight, and then... Since it is a new month, we're going to look at who stood out in April at each position. I think we'll go over the top three or four, depending on the position, maybe a little bit more in the outfield. But first, Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, just a uh, another year, another you know dramatic fight within our fantasy league. I feel like that should have been our uh, calling or like our team theme or our league theme this year is like drama. You know, and we could have had it be the character from Entourage as like the picture, and then we could have each been characters from Entourage. I don't. Did you watch Entourage? Remind me. I watched like the first four episodes. Oh, you're I missing out. Get into it. You're missing out. I couldn't get into it. Carly was kind of interested in it, but neither of us really were sold on it. I don't. I don't know why. I just. It's I amazing. Know. It's amazing. It's. It's better than Jury Duty, which we, of course, just finished watching and is hilarious. That, yeah, hilarious. Best thing since The Office. And I found out the writers of The Office are the ones that actually wrote Jury Duty. So it just that makes sense. Because it was. It felt, to me, it felt like a Office and Parks and Rec like baby with this random dude in the middle of all of it. Right? Yeah. The, just the fact that. And he's for, amazing. For the, for those of you who don't know what Jury Duty is, it's if you have it on Amazon Prime, you can watch it, but it's through this streaming service called Freebie, which you can pretty much watch on any Fire Stick, Roku. I think you can get it because it's free. You just got to watch the ads. But it's a show where everybody thinks that they are filming a Life of a Juror documentary, but in reality, it's one guy who thinks it's just a documentary and everybody else is actors and they have a script that's just so crazy out of the realm and they just are trying to get reactions out of this guy and they have a script for every single way if he reacts negatively positively neutral they have like scripts that go off each way depending on how he reacts it's just hilarious there's you got to watch it i thought the best part was uh was the, the last episode and this won't ruin anything for anybody really but one of the characters talks about how um, for the script writing, he brings up the idea that like, hey, like, how do we get out of jury duty? And he's like, well, like, what if what if I say I'm racist? And they're like, there's no <laughs> way you're ever going to be able to like lead into that. And uh, the main character, the guy that thinks this is all real, says, you know, hey, like I did see this. on I think it was like Family Guy. And he tells the story. And then the, the, the character in the jury selection goes yeah i'm racist <laughs> it was amazing just the whole show and like these actors and everything they did was was truly fun and that's like uh, one of the first jokes and it's like if it wasn't like this scenario of like real life and he's a random guy that has no idea what's going on that probably you probably can't get away with that but just the the context of this show just makes everything so much more realistic and hilarious in my mind dude that's the first thing i'm saying if i get called for jury duty i'll be like i'm racist um and it doesn't work i'm a democrat and a republican automatically that should rule me out right like you know like i identify as a non-juror does that is that does that work here like can i go home now you know like use whatever i have because i don't want to be in jury duty who wants to be in jury duty 
except the one character that wanted to be in Jury Dewey. Great show. All right, let's move on. Let's let's move to some fantasy because we're getting off the rails here real early. So there has been a few trades. Um, let's start off with one that's happened a few weeks ago, and that was between um, one of our league mates, Parker, and another one, Mike. And Mike is rebuilding, more or less. He finished last in the season. He got Max Scherzer for, I believe it was $77 in the draft. So he didn't really need him. He it goes out and he trades for Matt Olson, and I think that's it, right? Did he get anybody else in that deal? No, he also received um, Daniel Espinino. This, this oh yeah, Daniel Espino, Espino. Sorry, Daniel. prospect for the Cleveland Guardians before his injury, but uh, Matt Olson in our wait is he is actually the- hurt even more than he was? Yeah, he's got a new shoulder injury. Oh my god, Jesus! I don't know. If I didn't know it's that. The same one. I just knew he was it, hurt. It happened like two. It happened like two weeks after the trade, so he was healthy at the time of the trade. Anyways, Matt Olson is the number one ranked first baseman in our league by our head-to-head points league because our not negative points for strikeouts. So. He Honestly, even have... if we had negative points for strikeouts, yeah. I would imagine I him he's... and Olsen are probably still pretty close. Not that that matters, but like he's dominating. So, yeah, more or less Parker, who received him, it's a pure rental. He's going for it. He's got a highly – what's the word I'm looking for? He's got an expensive staff on the hitting end and the pitching end. So in my eyes, this is his last real shot with the studs he's got to make a push for it. Um, what are your initial thoughts and how are you feeling on that trade now as it's been a couple weeks now? I mean, I get it. Um, this this league, as we've talked about and documented before, is, is very pitching heavy. And I personally identified last year, the year before that, the perception was greater than the actual value. And I say that in regards to the perception is you need to acquire aces at all cost. And I think what you and I realized was it's not necessarily that you need to acquire aces. It's that you need to acquire quality volume pitchers. So have a couple guys that you can really rely on. I have Cole, you have Burns, you know, I have Verlander. Well, I can't really rely on him. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean? Like we have, we have <laughs> our yeah, guys that are at the top that like you start and forget. And then like I have five, six, seven other guys that, our top 40s, right? Like, that's a lot to ask for, but we kind of realized that early on because well, you, you what I that. realized, what I realized last year, sorry to cut you off, but what I realized, it doesn't matter about the quality of pitchers. You need the depth at pitching so that you can play those matchups because I remember, I can't remember who I played in the playoffs last year, but I had a way better pitching staff, but I had terrible matchups. Pitcher, pitchers that were going up against the Mets, the Phillies, yep. the Yankees, and the guy I was playing. Uh, had his pitchers go up against the athletics, the pirates, you know, um, the tigers. And it's like, well, any, any freaking pitcher can, you know, light up any one of those teams for six, seven innings, one earned and like five to 10 strikeouts. doesn't matter what quality are. So I've learned that you need, yeah, you need okay pitchers. Like it's good to have those two or three aces and then just build depth of good guys who are going to win the matchups and just hope you get lucky in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I, full, I fully agree with you because the same thing has happened to me the last couple of years. Like, you have guys fringe top 40, we'll say top 40 to top 70, 
Um, and I think Aviedo will be a great example of that. I, I don't think Aviedo this season's a top 40. He proved that kind of in his last blow-up start. He, you know, is dominating for a three or four-start run there and showcase who he really is. But he'll probably be top 70. Point to this conversation is come like September, Aviedo plays against the A's. I would probably take Aviedo against the A's, then Verlander against the Phillies then. You know what I mean? Like, And that's the kind of thing where it's like, I've been screwed so many times, I've realized now that like I'm not giving up a Matt Olson for a Max Scherzer when I know that Max Scherzer might be playing the Phillies on a one-star week, right? And then might be facing the Braves the next week while Matt Olson goes out and hits you know four home runs over the course of two weeks in a playoff matchup. To me, the top-tier bats are far more valuable than the top-tier pitchers because of the matchups that you spoke about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Let's move along now. I think there's only been two other trades. I'm trying to filter to the beginning of the year here to see. Um, I'm stalling here. But, yeah, the next trade after that is your trade that you made today. Um, so you traded away Carlos Rodon, Kenley Jansen, and Michael Kopech, and Edward Julian. So a lot of names there. You received Shane Bieber, Frankie Montas, and Brandon Fott. So a little context for the listeners. Carlos Rodon is average cost-wise. I think he's like in that $15 to $20 range. Kenley Jansen's about 6 Kopech is cheap. Edward Julian's cheap. Shane Bieber's expensive. You might be able to keep him, but he seems more like a rental. Frankie Montas is like a dollar. Brandon Fott's a dollar. So you get a stud and Shane Bieber, but he's expensive. And then you get two pieces that are keeper worthy. And essentially the returning players are Carlos Rodon. And then in my mind, the Rowans and then Kenley Jansen, you lose out on a relief pitcher. So tell the listeners what you were thinking and what trade tactics you used to get this deal done. Yeah, I don't really necessarily know how the conversation started, but this morning I'm moving things around because I'm actually playing the league manager read that I traded with. So I think it was something like, gosh darn it, like, you know, I'm so screwed because my strategy this year is to hold as many prospects as I can while still um, rostering a competitive lineup. Like, I'm, I'm not out here trying to lose. I'm trying to win, but I'm also trying my absolute best. My number one priority is to protect my assets. My number two priority is to hope to God I can win enough games when I can actually start to really get on a roll because I started the season without Verlander, without Rodon, immediate injury to O'Neill Cruz. Judge goes out this week. Carroll goes out this week. I've just been really, really hammered with injuries that I almost immediately went into rebuild mode. And I'm thankful for that because I still have a competitive team. But the trade happened where I just got a text from this league manager and he goes, you know, what would you like for Rodon? And I laughed at him, of course, via text. I said, that's just not happening. Like, you know, if I'm rebuilding a $15 Dynasty Rodon is, you know, amazing. And I really started to think about it because he sent me a text. He's like, well, Wheeler or Beaver would be, of course, in the package. And the key term he used was in the package. And I was like, well, if you're going to give me one of those and more, let me actually take a look at what I could do to rebuild while also competing. So that's what ultimately led to the Brandon Fott inclusion. And then I just said, I also have to have Montas in this because Montas can hit my, my IL and just sit. He could be dropped when he comes back because he could be so terrible he's unrosterable. That's fine. I still get Brandon Fott as my rebuilding upside. I get to compete right now with Bieber. And if I continue to lose because of these injuries, I will essentially trade Bieber at the deadline or in the offseason, much like, you know, we'll call it the trade tree of all sports. 
growing this this big tr- this Rodon tree so that I, it's not just that I gave up Rodon. I get fought and maybe I go out of the deadline and get a Brett Brett ba- uh, Brett Batty or I go out and I get a uh, Ricky Tiedelman. Like I'm sure I will accumulate good assets from Bieber, but for now he does allow me to compete. Yeah, I, I like it. The only question mark I had, and I texted you on the side, was why you gave up oh, Kenley Jansen. Jansen in the deal. Yeah. And I think you were saying you just were trying to get a deal done and well, had to drop <clears throat> or include another player or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a roster crunch, and it was it was like, do I include Jansen, who's hurt? Like, as, as, as of today, he was day-to-day. So I was like, I don't even know if I have him this week. You know, like, I can't drop him. He's too good to drop. And I just have to like what sit with him, judge and Carol all day to day, right? Knowing that I could have three players ultimately IL by you know eight p.m. on Monday, um, or it was dropping Jack Flaherty. It was like, don't you just don't you just love the IL stints that get it's locked ridiculous in after like they, I've the never, Monday game start? I've never seen it as bad as it's been this year. Like this year particularly, and maybe it's just because I've been affected so much. No, it, you're not the only one. <laughs> it's crazy that like Monday at 11 p.m., boom. Monday when there's 4 p.m. games, you know, 4.15, boom. It's like, where was the beat reporter report? Like, how does this happen? Right. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> I so I'm, I'm without a relief pitcher this week. I'm without a outfielder now and judge. Um, I rolled the dice on that. We're waiting to hear back on Corbin Carroll's injury, which both of us, you know, and I think of all of baseball who loves Carroll, like put fantasy aside. It'll be, I really want to see him play. Um, I just love. Did you see? Um, I yes. think it was inside the park homer, and he, he almost caught up to the dude. Who, I like, think it was, in, uh, was it first or second base. It was like a. I think it was a double, and he was on. He was on first, and someone else, and uh, Kendall Marte was on second, and um, he almost lapped Marte. And Marte's slower. Like the hamstring injuries have really hampered him. No pun intended. Um, but yeah, he. It was. He's fast, dude. He's. He's like. He's he, so fast. He would fall right in line with what the Raiders have drafted over the last tw- two decades. Well, let's just hope that uh, Corbin Carroll doesn't get in any car accidents. All right, let's move on to the next trade, which I made probably less than an hour after. And I acquired Manny Machado, and I gave up Josh Young and Giancarlo Stanton. This was a, a deal that I had been talking with the owner, Parker, who actually acquired Max Scherzer. We had been going back and forth on this deal for probably a week or two and whenever he was getting ready to deal up Machado I was high on Young and I was like I don't know if I can do it and then as soon as I was getting low on Young Machado hits for two home runs in Mexico City and so he's high on Machado and then I'm telling him well it's the elevation I wonder why he's hitting all these homers so then I'm going back I'm like okay I'll do the deal and then Josh Young hits a grand slam on Sunday so I'm like no I can't do it anymore And ultimately, your trade, I think, was the catalyst where I was just like, all right, if Matt's going for a rebuild, this is my turn to push my chips in, and I'm going to go for it. And I I did that. Um, The thing is with Machado, he's $34, so it'll be $39 next year. Um, I think I haven't looked at the budget, but if I really want to, I probably could fit in a way of keeping Machado next year and making it work. Um, I do like Josh Young, so that did hurt a little bit. Giancarlo Stanton's a non-factor for me because he's always on the injured list. When he does play, he'll be great, but at the end of the day, he was just a throw-in for me, but that was the piece that got the deal done. So, Matt, what are your initial thoughts on my deal? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in regards to win now, it's never a bad idea. I'm a really big believer, especially in our league, never acquire somebody for – 
for never give away value when you're acquiring an expired player unless you really don't believe in the, the, the value you're giving up. So let's just put that into context. Last year, I traded you Alec Manoa on a very, very team-friendly uh, $6 salary for an expiring Max Scherzer contract. Now, I at the time did not believe in Manoa. I felt like I was getting uh, an overvaluation and an overproduction for what he actually was as a pitcher. You like Manoa. You were losing Scherzer. It was a really good trade for you. Good trade for me. Moving forward to this trade, you get one more year of Machado. The reason I say what I just said is because you can still trade Machado. You can trade him in a month. You can trade him tomorrow. You can trade him in six months. You can trade him in eight months. You can choose to keep him and trade him in 12 months. You can hold on to the value and probably get back the same exact player that you gave away. When you think about Machado's value, it could be two months from now and I maybe I'm competitive finally, right? And now you're asking me for you know, a very um, hot Jose Miranda who's, you know, finally figured it out because he was cold early in the season. Or maybe you're asking me for Vinny P. Like, whatever it may be, you can get that value back. Or maybe you're competitive and you're going for a ship. And now you have Machado, Lindor, Harper, Acuna, Burns, you know, Urias. Like, it puts you in a very good position to be competitive if you want to, but also recoup that value. And from Parker's perspective, I said to you today via text, I think he just jumped the gun. It is too early to be trading these kinds of assets. And I've made a lot of offers throughout the league with my very talented players. And I will always say to you, the best trades are the ones that people don't accept because I believe it's too early. And had people accepted my offers, I'd feel like a fucking idiot. Um, so but I think Parker just jumped the gun too soon. I like Jung a lot, but you could probably trade him back for Jung in two months and ask for Batty as well. You know, you, you have the leverage now that you have the better player. Well, the thing is with him, it's an expiring contract for him for Machado because he does have a lot of expensive talent. So there's no way he was going to be able to keep Machado. I think that's what he was thinking in his mind. Actually, I know that's what he was thinking in his mind. From my perspective too, though, in the past, I've been spoiled with having Nolan Arenado for six years, six out of the last seven years. Um, And last year I was filtering between Alec Bohm and think ryan mcmahon so like that's been a hole for me i recently got young so that's been nice but i'm used to having an expensive third baseman as like a key cornerstone to my lineup like that's how i like to anchor my lineup so now i have in my mind a top five if not top three third baseman yeah he's expensive but i like looking at my lineup a lot better seeing machado at third base than young and i'll leave it at that yeah and I mean, I don't disagree with you that that's probably where Parker's perception was at with like, hey, this is a player I won't be able to keep. But that's the problem with the perception is we have all the way up until March to trade players. You know, you have all the opportunity in the world to package him up for value because as we saw this year, I traded Arenado for Volpe and really looks like that was a bad trade, right? But in two years, probably won't be. You know, Volpe's probably going to be anchoring my... I get what you're saying. So I I will. I just. I will say. I think you won. And then that's fair. I think I did too. But I. I want to. I'm not trying to defend him or anything. But I've been in issues with Otani last year. Like, I knew I couldn't keep Otani. Everybody else in the league knew I probably couldn't keep Otani. Like, if you were smart enough to look at his roster, you could tell. He's not keeping Machado and Altuve next year. There's no way in hell he can keep them, especially with his young players and Gorman, Batty, and now Young. Like, he's going to let them walk, and he's going to keep his young guys. It's, like, clear as day. So I think 
that worked to his disadvantage. And I think also he was shopping Machado around and everybody else values their young, cheap players way higher than they should. And I think that's what helped me get this deal done as well. Enough about my trades. Let's get on to top performers, unless you had anything else you wanted to say on that, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I was, it's again, back to perception, right? Like, I don't agree that that's the actual reality, which in regards to you saying, like, other people are going to know you can't keep them because that's what we've thought in the past. And then you look at this past offseason where I gave you for basically free Trey Turner because I wasn't going to keep him and I knew I was going to give him to you and I knew you were going to immediately turn him into something. You turned him into Josh Jung, which then you turned into Manny Machado. Right, like you. Oh, you know that's crazy. I turned Colton Cowser into Manny Machado. Yeah, no, absolutely. Colton Cowser into Manny Machado, who I didn't even keep. Right, I didn't even keep Colton Cowser, um, which is a great tree right there. And then I traded Freddie Freeman, who I wasn't going to keep, for um, Christian Javier. Which oh, you know, I'm so mad at that that you got that done because I was trying to get Javier. But my, I guess my point is like. There are teams that don't give a shit which situation you're in, maybe because they don't look or maybe because they don't care. And you can still move these players because they're valuable. Because in our drafts, it's a very thin draft class and players go for ridiculous amounts. So these teams are like, well, hell, I'd rather pay the 50, 45 right now than even have to worry about how crazy this is going to get because there's no shortstop talent or there's no first base talent, whatever the perception may be. So. Well, that's what you. I did with Eloy. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, Eloy, I got I traded for Eloy knowing he couldn't be kept, knowing he was on the last year of his contract, but I didn't want to overpay for him in the draft. Yep. And I knew it was going to be a one-year deal for me. So I was like, well, screw it. I'll just give up one of my prospects and one of these pitchers I'm not going to keep, and I'll roll the dice. Not, not looking too good for me right now as Eloy's injured yet again. And I traded Gavin Stone to Parker yeah. in that deal. And now Gavin Stone is making his major league against debut you. on Wednesday against <laughs> me. The one good thing I have going for me is it is against Philly and Bryce Harper should be back in the lineup. I'm sure he's gonna have a little bit of rust, but we'll see. I, I do wanna I do wanna watch that game if I can. That'll be a fun game to watch. Yeah, it's it's hard, you know, again, perception, preseason trading, like Mistakes are made. You made a mistake with that one. I made a mistake with just handing you Trey. Um, and I think moving forward, I will be much more careful with you know, maneuvering assets because I think the Trey was the first one, if, I, if I'm correct, of the offseason or maybe the first or second. And I gave him to you because I had the perception that nobody in their right mind would want Trey Turner. That was just, I didn't even shop him. It was just like, hey, it's $45. Like no one's going to be stupid enough to, like, to take this guy, right? Because I fell in the bag that you had kind of pre-alluded to. And then all of a sudden, boom, these these deals start getting done. And I'm like, oh, my God, like these people are crazy. They're out of <laughs> minds. And then I benefited from Freddie Freeman. Right. And it was like, OK, moving forward, be smart. Like every player has value if if someone finds value in them. So just, you know, in your own leagues, be mindful that, you know, every player has value. Don't just drop them. Um, don't just you know, give them away for free. Like do your do, do your due yeah. diligence. Absolutely. Got to shop them around, everybody. All right, let's move on now to some top prospect performers. Matt, you've got a list for the listeners. Why don't you go through and uh, inform us who's hot right now? Yeah, so we'll probably do this every week. We Usually we break down leaderboards. We kind of dig, dig real, real deep into the minor league aspect of the game. But I, I kind of want to kick this off for us. This will be April 24th through the 30th. We're going to use MLB Pipeline's prospect team of the week. 
to highlight players this week and moving forward. We will probably add some players to our lists, um, you know, that are not just pipeline guys. But this week alone, we have a nice list for you. Uh, Dylan Diggler for the Tigers, 14th overall prospect in their organization, went 10 for 19 in five games for single A Lakeland. Nice performance from Dylan. Kind of probably to be expected, the catcher of the future in Detroit. He is a ways away, those being in single A. Um, CES, Christian Encarnacio Strand, your boy, Richie. You have, are rostering him and have been very high on him since spring training. Is going to be the first base prospect highlight. for The Reds, number six overall prospect, had four home runs in six games. He is at 23 years old, so he is playing at kind of the AAA age level, but I think what we're seeing is talent is kind of risen to the top. He's ready for the major leagues. I think we should expect to see him very shortly here in Cincinnati. Uh, coming in at second base, Carlos George, 19-year-old Reds prospect, slashed 500 with a 750 slug and an OPS about 1,205 games. Uh, Daytona, single A. Might be a name to look at in, in uh, deeper league, dynasty leagues. I actually don't know about Carlos George yet, so I'm going to have to do a little digging after we get off the recording tonight. Uh, third base, we have Angels, number 15th overall prospect, hit over 600 with a slug close, close to 900 in five games at double a rocket city that's jermaine J uh, jackson uh moving on to shortstop it's my guy um now and if you don't know listener i have a very 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 big fantasy baseball crush on junior caramonero shortstop for the rays number five prospect i expect him to be their number one overall prospect at the end of the year i expect him to be a top 20 major league baseball prospect he went 10 for 23 with three more home runs and nine rbis I think we are seeing a true breakout. This may be the next international signing superstar. He is in high A, though, so we have some question marks. Can he continue this at double A? Does he have holes in his swing that haven't been identified yet? Like, it is early. He is 19, but he's off to a massive start in the minors for the Rays. We have our outfield coming in next. Uh, Denzel Clark for the Oakland A's. God, Oakland A's are so bad. Um, number, 10, <laughs> number 10 prospect on the A's. Uh, hit 500, OPS at 1,400. He had a monster, monster week at AA. Four home runs, nine RBIs in four games. Again, another player that I'm not very familiar with. Have to look into Denzel Clark. That's Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, if you're looking him up on MILB.com. Um, very, very good week. That's probably the best performance of the week by far with a 1,400 OPS. Um, Jonathan Classe. For the Mariners, I have been kind of keeping my eye on him over the last couple of weeks. Really hot in the minor leagues. He had four home runs in six games. They're number 12 overall prospect. If I remember correctly, I think Class A is 23. So I, 22, 23. You'll have to, you'll have to quote me on that. Um, so I think he is playing age up on some of these kids. Uh, very nice, though, showing a lot of power. That's for the Mariners. I would expect him to rise fast through the, the system this season. Um, Dominic can zone for the Diamondbacks, 20th overall prospect in that organization, went 12 for 24 with three home runs in AAA Reno. God, Reno sucks. I live here in Nevada. Uh, coming in at out for left-handed pitcher, it's Carson Carson Weisenhunt, Giants' eighth overall prospect, struck out 13 batters across two scoreless starts for high A San Jose, allowed just two hits along the way. Brian Hu, that's going to be a right-handed pitcher for the Mariners, sixth overall prospect in their organization, Double uh, A. Struck out five batters, um, excuse me, struck out eight batters and five shutout innings with just one hit. And the last name we have for you is our hometown Milwaukee Brewers. That's Ethan Small. Three perfect innings in relief. 
Brewers' 13th overall prospect. We could see Ethan Small come up yet again this year, maybe fill in for some of these injuries or possibly be used as a long reliever. That is all I have for you, Richie. Carson Encarnacion Strand, bring him up. I like the nickname. Uh, um, CES, for those of you that don't know, yeah. is the biggest technology conference that comes to Vegas every year, and we make good money for it. So his nickname will be CES for me, at least. Uh, yeah, I think CES is a lot easier than saying saying his full name, but I don't know why he's not up yet. You know, Joey Votto's still injured. Will Myers hit the IL. Like, who, you're starting Spencer Steer and... Who are they? Who they even got at first base now? I don't even well, no, know. No, Steer Steer was moved to first base. Um, so who's playing third for them? Yeah, this is the thing. I don't know, but you also have to be mindful. Like he just did all of this, right? Like this was what Tuesday through yeah, Friday. That's true. He He's floor. coming back yeah. from an injury. Like I honestly, I would not be shocked if tomorrow morning he gets called up. Like if they don't, that there's, also there's no reason. Yeah, that also was a catalyst to me being okay with giving up young because i i do believe in um ces and i know you have some question marks about his um swing i do as well but what he's doing and his his approach of like his walk to strikeout rate is so good or it's improved so much that i i gotta roll the dice on him he's gotta like if he's available in your league even redraft i think he he might be the number one prospect hitter right now that you should stash trying to think of who else hasn't been called up well maybe while maybe while you look um i I, look at the top list i give his profile very similar comps with a little bit more power than jose miranda when he got called up and i think these are startable players in two years i think these will be guys that are starting on every league for fantasy I just concern myself with that initial production because they're guys that have taken advantage of age frames in the minor leagues, and they also don't have ridiculous exit velocity. And those small things concern me, but the really big thing for CES is he's playing in Cincinnati. You know, Miranda plays in Minnesota. It's colder. It's a bigger ballpark. Um, There's concerns there, whereas CES is really going to benefit from obviously playing in Cincinnati in that ballpark, but also the heat that Cincinnati has, which essentially elevates the home run ball. So I think there's a lot to like there, and I, I would agree. I think if there's a player to pick up right now from from the batting perspective of prospects, it's definitely CES. Yeah, they're, the only other ones I can think of that I might like more than him is Colton Kowser. He should be coming up sooner rather than later for the Orioles. Um, he's been hot. And then obviously Jordan Walker <laughs> – He's back in the minors. He's an obvious stash there. But outside of that, I'm not seeing anybody that really sticks out to me terribly well, and, much. And listen, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. We need to temper expectations. You know, he had a great week. But oh, yeah, absolutely, Joe Adele cause... has had an incredible season. And, like, we, we've seen what Joe Adele can do at the major league level. So. We just have yeah, to I might remo- just be remember. buying into the hype of spring training a little bit. So, yeah, I do have to temper, temper my expectations. Like, I mean, looking back to our last podcast, I was ready all about the Mason Miller um, the train, and he got lit up in his first inning. He settled down after that, but, you know, I was a little, little disappointed. He relied so heavily on his fastball, only threw, like, four change-ups, and then barely threw his slider and cutter. Like, it was strictly fastball and, like, you know, 
Maybe I do get a little too high on these guys, but you know that's well, the, that's the love of fantasy baseball. But also, like this is something I think that I've kind of built in now to, you know, my playing style is for these prospects, the Mirandas, the Ces, the Millers. We really need to be mindful of playing time and opportunity because when I talked about Adele, you know, Adele was really blocked, especially this season with the acquisition of Renfro. Um, CES doesn't have a block. There's no one in the Reds' current roster that's probably hands down better than CES, right? And I think the same thing can be said for Miranda for the most part because he's really struggled. He's starting to turn around now, but like they just said it's your job. Joe Adele wasn't given that chance. He wasn't given the chance to struggle and figure it out, to make adjustments. And I think when I'm looking at prospects now, it's like, well, shoot, if I, if I grab this kid, are they going to give him three months to make his own adjustments? Or are they going to give him two weeks and send him down like they did with Edward Julian? Because if you do that, it's worthless to have him rostered because you just never know if they're going to be given a full chance. So I definitely um, promote and uh, put my stamp of approval on CES for sure. Kevin Newman is currently starting for third base for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, He's betting 230, Newman. 230 with seven runs, two home runs, and 10 RBIs. I can't catch a break. A Pirates, Reds, someone's always replacing him. Yeah, crazy. Um, all right, let's move on to the April league leaders um, according to our head-to-head points format. So, We'll go through the top three, maybe four at each position to round out our show. Let's start off with catcher. At number one, we have Adley Rutschman with four home runs, 17 RBIs with 101 points in our league. Then Sean Murphy, your favorite catcher, six home runs, 16 RBIs with 97 points. And then a surprise, Jonah Heim with five home runs, 22 RBIs, and 95 points. One is not like the other, Matt. Um, so I'm curious. <laughs> we I know we've talked about this off air, but what are your thoughts on Jonah Heim? Curious. Yeah, just for the listener, when I put this list together for us, um, I, I'm pretty sure these are stats going into today. Murphy had a 20 point production, two home runs, six RBI game. I think he had six home runs coming into this game, right, Richie? ESPN doesn't. Um, it's not going to update until tomorrow. tomorrow, right? Okay, so yeah, so Murphy has surpassed Rutschman. And God, I hate Sean Murphy. He is the bane of my existence. He uh, single-handedly knocked me out of the fantasy baseball playoffs last year. And it was very similar to the Boston Bruins, who I dominated, had the best team I think was ever constructed in our league, and got knocked out first round. So thank you, Sean Murphy. Um, but Jonah Heim, great great performance. RBIs at 22. We're going to talk about Semyon here in a little bit with 23 RBIs. They are just pouring the runs on. And I actually like Jonah Heim this season. I think in the lineup with everything that the Rangers have constructed, um, I think he keeps that job when Mitch Garver comes back. I think Mitch Garver gets delegated to a backup. He is a switch hitter, so you don't have to necessarily worry about split platoon process. Um, and he's kind of putting it all together. He was a backup last year, flashed a lot of power, and a lot of potential, and I think the job is now his. Yeah, I'm... I'm a little, I do love him. I love him a lot. I liked him last year. And the only reason why I didn't grab him is because he only played every third day and he was mostly a backup to Garver. Um, I'm a little hesitant on him until Garver gets back when Garver's back and he's still playing this much, then I'll be fully bought in. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. But 
Well, yeah, my, I mean, he's my, on my team, so I'm going to ride the hot hand as long as it's going. My thought process is, um, and I, I could be wrong because I don't know the rosters. Uh, I don't know the Rangers roster as well as I should probably. The DH position is available. So I know how bad their outfield is. You know, even if you want to get Garver in, maybe he's a better defensive catcher, something I also don't know how their metrics weigh out. But Heim should be in this lineup. He's producing, and they're playing well. You don't change things when they're playing well. So maybe they'll utilize DH if they want to put Garver at the the backstop. But interesting to watch. I like Heim a lot. You mean you don't like Robbie Grossman as as your DH? I mean, he... He is who he is, right? 220, has a little power, has a little speed. Um, but let's be honest, like, if you're trying to compete and you're now trying to compete without Jacob deGrom, you got to have the guys that produce for you. So, Yeah, it looks like they have Leotis Tavares outfield, Robbie Grossman outfield, and they're kind of just cycling through them with um, Adolis Garcia, Josh Smith. So let's let's have a real quick prospect question here before we get into first base. Um, obviously, you know I like Evan Carter a lot. Double A, he's young, so there's concerns there. And then they have um, Dustin Harris. Oh, yeah. Would no, you... I mean if you remember from I'm gonna cut you off right now. If you remember back in our January February podcast, and we were talking about who is this year's Michael Harris. My pick was Evan Carter. Yeah, because I knew how horrible this outfield was. And it's bad. I did like I did like Evan Carter until I saw his swing. Um, <laughs> I don't like a swing. So like I probably honestly, if I didn't watch any of his at bats, I probably would have picked him up like weeks ago, Matt, honestly. Um, but yeah, I do think he comes up. I think he comes up sooner rather than later. I just don't know if they're going to move him up to triple A, give him like a week or two just to like get his feet wet and then move him up or like what they're waiting for. But Corey Seager is also coming back too. So that might crowd their DH position and Mitch Garver and Joan Heim can just switch off between DH there. So we'll see. Well, an interesting question. The reason I bring it up first for the listener, I roster him, but I really believe in developing players. You put fantasy aside. I think it's going to be a very big disservice to Evan Carter. If they do not allow him to spend at least another month in double a before the triple a promotion, and then a full month to two months at AAA, if you bring him up right away, he's going to have to develop in the major leagues. And I absolutely hate that because the Michael Harris outcome is very rare. It's, it's very rare. And I think they are better off bringing up Dustin Harris at 23 years old and allowing that development because at this point, I think we know that Dustin Harris is probably a C or a B-level prospect. For you, those of you that play Major League the Show, you'll understand what I mean by that. And the development is kind of going to take a while. So might as well just get him in there, get his feet wet. You can always drop him back down and allow the development for Evan Carter to continue in the minor leagues because this outfield is really bad and it needs a jolt of energy. Harris has the tangible skills. He has the tools. So just bring him up and allow him to play over a Robbie Grossman. Interesting to see. They're going to have to make a move. I hope it's not Carter. Yeah, let's move on now to first base, and we have Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, Vlad Guerrero, and Yandy Diaz. They're both tied for third. Um, I think the one that stands out to me is Yandy Diaz, and I just pulled up his baseball savant page, and he is red everywhere, like 95th percentile or better in everything. The one thing that stood out to me when I was looking at this, though, is his launch angle has increased. It's at 10.8, essentially 11%. 
previously 7.8, 6.6, negative 7.9, 5.7, 4. So, like, he's doubled his launch angle. And when was the negative? Was, was it 18 or 19? Uh, 2020, the shortened okay. season. Shortened season, yeah. yeah. So, he's he's got seven home runs right now. So, that's coming in line. I don't have how many home runs he had before. But if he keeps this launch angle up, I think it's legit because his max exit velocity for the last five years has been in the top 10% of the league. He's always hit it hard. He's just had that Christian Yelich issue of can't get the ball in the air. Um, I think the breakout might be real. Yeah, and it's crazy because we've been talking about Yandy's launch angle for probably four years now, and it's just now being changed. I'm always really curious to see, did the organization not teach him? Could he just not figure it out? Was he not comfortable? Clearly, he got comfortable. Clearly, he figured it out. And I agree with you. Barring injury, I think we're going to see a very good season from him. And I need to do a little due diligence over the next month and figure out what's going on with Tampa Bay. But we're seeing an explosion, not only in the major leagues, but in the minor leagues from their prospects. A lot of these hitters just seem to have figured it out. And this has to be an organizational change. Oh, Yanni Diaz is day-to-day with a shoulder injury and missed Sunday's game. Spoken into existence. <laughs> Spoken into existence. Way to jinx it, man. Yeah, Way yeah, to yeah. jinx it. Um, but, yeah, so love Yandy. You know, Vlad's big issue, too, is a fluctuating launch angle in his career. Um, it, it might just might just be something with comfort, you know, and, and mechanics as well. But seven home runs for Yandy and a great, great offense. We're going to talk about another um, player for the race here in a little bit. But I, I like I like Yandy a lot. Yeah, and honestly, I'm just going to skip over the other guys because they're doing essentially exactly what you thought. Matt Olson, we talked about at the top of the show. Alonzo Vlad, you expected them to be at the top of the list. Same with Edley Rutschman. Sean Murphy, a little surprised, but you knew he had it in him. Um, So let's move on to second base. At the top, we have Marcus Simeon with five home runs, 23 RBIs, and 120 points. Max Muncy found his home run stroke again with 11 home runs. I think that leads the majors. Uh, Sean Murphy might have um, passed him, right? No, Murphy's Wasn't at eight. He at eight? Murphy, Murphy is but at didn't eight. Didn't you now. say he had three? Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, at, he's okay. at eight. Yeah, he's at eight. And then number three, Nico Horner, two home runs, 17 RBIs, 31 singles with 108 points. And I remember when we were doing our category, my categories draft, I asked you if I should grab Nico Horner, and you told me he was a bum. <laughs> Anyways, um, those are your top three second basemen. Um, I do want to include the fourth one, Brandon Lau. And he's been phenomenal. He has seven home runs, but he only has a two thirty three batting average. So just lump him in there as one of these guys outperforming at second base. Anything of, to note about these guys? Yeah, so two things, and they're both about Max Muncy. Uh, Max Muncy, when you look at these lists, Semyon, 19 singles, Horner, 31, Brandon Lau, 10. Lau has two doubles. He has a triple. Horner has five doubles. He has a triple. Semyon has th- uh, six doubles. Max Muncy has seven base hits. He has one double. He has no triples. But those 11 home runs are really working well. And the big number here that I like a lot, 22 walks. When we get to outfielders, I actually listed out some of them that have been doing a really good job of getting on base with the walk. Max Muncy, we might have to look into this. I think he's probably leading the league in walks. It's pretty incredible. And I saw a really great video today online. Max Muncy has also changed his um, his load very, very slightly. You would almost not notice it unless you were looking for it. Usually it was a, uh, a deep leg kick. He kind of brings the knee closer to the chest. This year he's probably dropped it 
five to eight degrees. I mean, it's so slight, but it's just enough where he's able to get that timing down. It's very impressive. And I think that's probably why we're seeing the resurgence and the rebirth of him because he is getting older. So he's going to need a little bit more time. He's made that adjustment. Uh, league leader in walks right now is Juan Soto at 27. And then tied for second is Adelie Rutschman and Max Muncy at 22. Crazy. Um, I just looked at the rest of the second base and it's just all over the board. Like Ozzy Albies is near the lower of the list. At number five is Tyro Estrada. The breakout happens two or three years. We're just always a couple years late on these mm -hmm. guys, Matt. Yeah, I swear it happens every I mean, it is only a month into the season, so who knows? But man, he looks good this year. <sighs> um, Jonathan India is looking like he's having a bounce back at number six on the list. But yeah, I mean, we were talking about at the beginning of the season, like second base, we think is going to be deeper than before. And look at all these guys coming on. Nolan Gorman's performing. Luis Arise is doing pretty much what you expected him to do. Um, well, look at yeah. look at Jazz, right? Jazz, obviously a guy that was drafted much like Ozzy, where it's like, oh, you got to have Jazz. Jazz is he's a difference maker at the position in our league. Jazz looks like he's below ten, right around ten, maybe ten, twelve. 88 points in our league. That's a difference of 32 points from the max performer in Marcus Semyon. And Jazz just isn't ready. You know, he will have that breakout. I'm positive of that. He has the all if of the stack cast numbers. But he just swings too aggressively. And he just gets out of his, himself sometimes. So uh, this, this list will change. I expect Nolan Gorman to fall off. I expect the holes in his swing to kind of pop back. You know, he'll probably have a new hole. It's probably not going to be the upper part of the zone, but again, baseball is about adjustments. So interested to see where this list is in a couple months. Let's move on now to third base. So at the top, we have Matt Chapman off to a blistering start. I think he's cooled off a little bit. And number two, we have Rafael Devers. And then technically Muncy and Diaz, Yandy Diaz count at three and four, but we're not going to count them. So let's move on to Patrick Wisdom at number three. One is not like the other, Matt. Patrick <laughs> Wisdom is the one that sticks out here. So let's talk about him. Do you believe in Patrick Wisdom? Just looking at his last four or five games, he looks like he's got one home run, but only three hits with one of them being that home run. So it looks like he's cooling off from what he was on a, crazy tear for like a week or two and i think that's what made him into this list yeah he he's a streaky player right um it, this is what you what you get when you play daily leagues which is something our league is transitioning to next year you want to catch this kind of a player in this profile when they're hot or you want to roster them and you know be able to identify hey he's he's heating up let's toss him in there and i think that's the big thing especially in fantasy baseball where you are benefited if you're able to watch games on a nightly basis because you can start to get the feel for you know, when these guys are really falling into their own. I remember as a child when I used to watch the Brewer games every single night, Jeff Jenkins was the perfect name that kind of paired well with wisdom. When Jenkins got hot, you knew you had six to 10 days where he was going to possibly be the best player in baseball. And then he was going to go on a streak for about a month where he was just awful. And wisdom's that guy. You know, I don't think I'm comfortable with him as my starting third baseman, but he's definitely a guy that I would be happy to pair in with like a Brian Anderson or another player that might give me a little bit more consistency on a regular basis and Alec Bohm. Um, but definitely happy with the start. I think he will probably hit 30 home runs this year, probably hit 220, 230, but you got to catch those hot streaks. Yeah, and that's unless you're playing Roto and you're comfortable having him sit there, that's just so hard to so hard to time up. Let's move on to short. 
at number one, we have Wander Franco. Five home runs, 17 RBIs, and 113 points. At number two, if we skip Nico Horner, we have Xander Bogarts at 107. Pretty much the only bright spot for the Padres right now. Soto and Machado are cold. Tatis is back. Um, they all went bonkers when they played in Mexico City over the weekend. I don't know if you guys saw either of those games. I caught the highlights um, from Saturday's game, and I didn't realize why it was so high score. I think it was like 16 to 14 was the final score, but the elevation in Mexico City is like at 8,000 or something like that. For context, Coors Field in Colorado is at like 5,000 elevation. So think about like, Coors Field and almost doubled that elevation. Like, talk about the juice ball. That's crazy. Well, they don't um, have, uh, from my understanding, they don't have a humidor in Mexico City. I would imagine they don't. That's just me assuming because it's not a professional um, stadium. Most teams do have a humidor now in, in, in the U.S. Also, the um, metrics for the field, it's like 330 down both lines, and it's a very short <laughs> center field. So they were essentially playing in, like, a high school stadium. Um, which, hey, great makes for a very fun, entertaining, long baseball game. Yeah, I think it's the longest one this year. And then at number three, we do have Jeremy Pena, six home runs, 16 RBIs, and 104 points. Um, I got to toot my horn on Jeremy Pena. This was one of my guys I liked coming into the year. I believe you were a little skeptical on him, Matt. Um, he does have a low batting average at 241, but he's got the counting stats, the stolen bases. Even in categories, he's looking like the real deal at shortstop. If we go a little bit further, you've got names that you'd be expecting. Bo Bichette, Francisco Lindor. Um, so, yeah, anything you really want to say about this group? Um, I think Wander Franco in the breakout is the one we really should be talking about, batting 300 with the counting stats. But the Rays as an organization, they're all hot like that, much like the Rangers that we talked about with all their RBIs and runs. Yeah, I think it's for me at least. It's a little early to give Pena his flowers. I want to I want to see him get to the All Star break. I want to see him continue to put together a good season. That average needs to climb up, as you mentioned a little bit. Um, Lord knows the Astros need it, right? Like Tucker Alvarez, like you know, they're the guys. Bregman's falling off. Altuve's out right now. They need that third player to really set the table and really get those counting stats that you talked about. So really good for Pena. And he's still continuing to outperform Carlos Correa. You know, their decision not to sign Correa continues to look like it was the right move. Um, did you see Did you see um, what Carlos Correa said after the Twins took the, the most recent series from the Astros? Um, did you see it? No, I did he not see ma it. He made a comment. He goes, he goes, that's what you get. The Twins shopped at Dior and the Astros shopped at Sears in reference to like man he's so Jeremy petty Payne. and he the, the worst part about it is he's he's just he's wrong you know like i i think that's proving to the world series and the alcs like him winning mvp in both series like he's outperforming you and you beat him in a regular season series in april congratulations how about you get the twins to the playoffs how about you get the twins to the playoffs like it's just ridiculous to me how petty he is yeah well, and he doesn't have a knee, so we'll see how long he lasts. Uh, ankle. I think it is ankle. I thought it was his he knee. He has, like, no, he has, like, the, the titanium in his ankle, which is pretty pretty scary, but also, like, pretty bionic, man. Like, kind of dope. <laughs> All right, let's move on to outfield, and we have another Ray with Randy Rosarena leading the group with seven home runs, 28 RBIs, and 133 points. 
Then we have Ronald Acuna, four home runs, 14 RBIs, 13 stolen bases with 127 points. Adolis Garcia, man, was I wrong about him. Eight home runs, 30 RBIs, 122 points, and he bit me in the ass because I played him the day that he had three home runs and like a double and a triple or something and put up 30 points on me. Literally a fourth of his whole season points came in one day against me. So that was fun. Mike Trout, seven home runs, 119 points. James Outman, who I think might be leading um, – the Vegas odds right now for rookie of the year if Corbin Carroll is out and Jordan Walker's in the minors did not see that coming and then lastly we have Cody Bellinger with seven home runs and 114 points I think the ones I really want to talk about Matt is James Outman and Cody Bellinger because you know at the beginning of the season I was all over Cody Bellinger and then I actually didn't get any shares of him in either of my leagues I could have got him in our league but I couldn't pull the trigger because you were getting in my ear and in the back of my head, I was like, Matt's right. I shouldn't believe in Cody Bellinger. And I learned a lesson that day and it's don't always listen to everything Matt tells you. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to be wrong, you know, 2% of the time. Like it just happens that way. Um, listen, congratulations to Cody Bellinger. I hate you. He's probably my, he is my Ben Simmons of major league baseball. I hated him when he was on my roster winning MVP because he just gets high so often no that's just a joke he just looks like he's high um he's doing great man he's doing great in chicago seven home runs 18 rbis and it's ironic because outman who is replacing his role essentially with the dodgers is almost identical right seven home runs seven home runs 20 rbis by outman 18 by belly both have four stolen bases they are very very comparable this year and i think we're gonna see a little bit of a dip for outman i think bellinger might be back um, you know, he's playing for Chicago. They are hot right now. It's only oh, going to get hot. Now you think he's back. Huh? Now you well, think he's what are we back. supposed to am I supposed to tell you that I want him to completely fail and this is a mirage? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what I want to hear. I can't I cannot say that now. I know I have to kind of steer it back a little bit. Now, am I hoping this continues? No. I hope Cody Bellinger gets benched and releases and never plays major league baseball again. But I think in reality, he probably has fixed some holes in his swing. And I think this is what we can kind of expect. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends the year, though, batting 260. And that's fair. That's, I mean, pretty much you were, if he was hitting 240 and put up the power production, it was a win at where you were drafting him. Well, and, and also, though, just a quick reminder his MVP season, he had an absolute torrid first three months. And he was pretty bad in the second half. He was just so good through those three, three and a half months that he was able to put together enough counting stats to get him to that MVP. So we've seen hot starts from Bellinger before. I just want to temper expectations. If you have him and people are buying, I would be selling. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on now to starting pitchers. We'll go through the top five at, I don't think we can even count this because Otani has got his batting and pitching. But anyways, Otani number one at 230 points. Those are not all his pitching stats, but he's got 34 innings, 46 strikeouts, um, four quality starts and four wins. Then we have Garrett Cole with 150 points, 40 and two-thirds innings, 44 strikeouts, five quality starts, five wins. Clayton Kershaw, 38. 
eight innings pitch, 41 strikeouts, five wins, five quality starts. Then we have number four, Zach Gallen, which is a surprise to me. 37 and two-thirds innings, 51 strikeouts, four quality starts with four wins. And then Kevin Gosman, your favorite player, 38 and two-thirds innings, 53 strikeouts with six wins and five quality starts. Or no, I said that wrong. Not six wins, two wins. Um, yeah, um, a lot to digest there. I threw a lot of numbers at you, Matt. What's your takeaways from this group? I think the most impressive, honestly, is Gosman because he did have that blow up. Um, and he has the most strikeouts in this group. If you look back on Gosman, in 11 Ks against Detroit on April 12th, he had 11 against New York on the 23rd, 13 in this most recent start against Seattle. And then you have to look back on April 17th against Houston, seven hits, seven earned runs, five Ks in that game, did have two walks, obviously took the loss. You remove that game from the equation. We're talking about Gosman probably being the best pitcher right now in baseball at age 32, right? I mean, he's been in this progression path over the last two years since he came from the Giants to the Blue Jays, where we're really seeing him put together um, consistent pro progress and progression. Gallon's kind of the same way, right? Like after we had that forearm, forearm injury where we had concerns with Tommy John two years ago, he's been able to kind of continue the production and continue to vamp himself into a better and better pitcher each season. 51 Ks, only five walks. That's a really big number too. Kershaw, Gallon, and Gosman are all under six walks on the season, while Cole and Otani have 17 and 11 respectively. So, you know, Cole and Otani are getting it done despite the walks. The other guys are really min uh, minimizing that. And what I'm going to say is be mindful that Otani and Cole might run into trouble with this. Cole's biggest issue is the home runs. When you're giving free passes away and you give up a home run, now it's two, three runs. If Kershaw, Gallon, and Gosman run into home run problems, hopefully they're going to be minimized by the fact that they're not walking people. So three of these names are really important. Otani did have a bad game just the other day. That has been Otani's track record. He is known to pitch you know, five, six, seven good starts and just have that blow up. I think that kind of comes with batting every single day. Um, but so far, a very impressive list. And I'm not shocked by this list. Uh, if you told me that this was going to be the leader after April, I'd be like, you know what? I can absolutely see that. Yeah, I think Zach Gallon's probably the only one. I'd be like, I don't really see him as being top four. I don't know how long that sustains. Well, I don't think but... we thought he'd get the wins. We thought, I think we came into yeah. the year thinking Arizona was going to be awful. And those wins are really important, especially in points. Right, absolutely. Um, 51 Ks, though, man. He's dominating. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. All right, that concludes all of our standouts for April. Um, yeah, no any, RPs. Anything? Yeah, no RPs. No, I, yeah, I no tried, RPs. and I just was like, this is ridiculous. It's mixed yeah, with sparps and crap, and it's like, wait, we don't know yeah, enough yet. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. And you, it's so hard to predict when a closer is going to get an opportunity, and then you know, they don't pitch for a few days, so then they get him some work, and then they actually need a save opportunity, and he's not available because you just use him. The list goes on and on. So that does it for our show. We'll see you next time.